Right. I want you to notice verse 8 of Hebrews chapter 1. Look what it says. It says, But unto the Son He saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter uh, of Thy kingdom. So notice right there, and we're going to go through all of Hebrews chapter 1 here in just a little bit, but I notice how God here, He's talking to the Son. Uh, to the Son. He says, Thy throne, O God. All right. right here is one of the clearest verses in the Bible where we see Jesus referred to as God. I mean, where the Bible just specifically calls Him God. You have people out there who try to deny the deity of Christ and say, you know, where does it say in the Bible that, you know, where does it call Jesus God? Well, it actually does right here. Very clear. It says, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. And what I want to talk about tonight is not so much about the deity of Christ, but I do want to talk about the Trinity tonight. And the title of my message is How Three Can Be One. And when it comes to the subject of the Trinity, I've kind of decided I want to make sure I at least spend a message you know, each year on this subject. Because the Trinity is one of these doctrines that has been taken for granted in Baptist churches. Because it's just an established fact that people have believed for so long that you know, you know nobody's continued teaching it. And it's made way for you know, heretics, heretics to come in and to just try to sneak in some damnable heresy when it comes to the Godhead. And I believe a lot of the result of, you know, the reason they were able to get away with this is because of the fact that just so little preaching has been done specifically on that. We have seen a lot of preaching on the deity of Christ. And, it, and there have been people, you know, well meaning people who are right on doctrine, who believe in the Trinity who, in getting overzealous about the deity of Christ, have accidentally preached kind of oneness things. And I think a lot of that is just because, once again, you know, the Trinity was just taken for granted. And, you know, we cannot take certain doctrines for granted. I think things like once saved, always saved need to be preached regularly. We need to be reminded about these things. And, you know, eternal, you know, the eternal security, we don't want to forget about that stuff. You know, doctrines about the blood atonement and just, these basic things, we need to talk about them because there are, I mean, there's, obvious, there's a lot of people out there that are trying to uh, chip away at the foundations. And the Trinity is a foundational doctrine that we, we believe, have always believed, and we always will believe. And so, what I want to talk about tonight, though, is how three can be one. Because when it comes to the Trinity, there are so many Scriptures we can go to. There's so many different ways that we could look at it. So many different Scriptures that we could be that could be used to illustrate this. But I've got to. I just kind of want to stay focused on one specific theme on this subject, and I want to go through Hebrews one because there are Scriptures, there are verses that if you just jump to these verses and look at them all by themselves without looking at context, it's easy to you know teach false. You know, teach falsely on that subject. And one of the things I'm noticing a lot, and this is something, you know, young preachers especially need to be warned about, is just, I'm all for using things like Esword. I'm, I'm for that. Okay, but the problem is, if you're not reading your Bible regularly, if you don't have a good understanding of the Bible as a whole, it's actually very dangerous putting a sermon together using Esword. Because what happens is, these guys, they look up a word and they'll read every verse where that word is mentioned and then 
they don't know the context because they're, they're not familiar enough with the Scripture to know the context and they often just absolutely butcher the interpretation of that verse trying to prove a doctrine. And it's if you don't know context, it's real easy for people to take Scriptures and mislead you. And the thing is, if people in the church aren't reading their Bible, it's real easy for people to get up and not use context and you're going to be like, man, they're using all kinds of Bible to prove their points. And I, I get so frustrated when I hear some of this preaching. You know, some of these guys too that try to preach against the Trinity, guys like Victor Tay, you can tell he does a lot of his stuff with just Sword Searcher. And he'll just use these verses and, and he likes to try, he's always trying to play both sides. And he'll preach as like, well, look, this verse says this, but over here, this verse says this. And I'm sitting there and I'm listening to this and I'm thinking, you moron. If you, would let the people know what the context of this other verse is, you would see that you're completely misusing that verse. But all people see is they see him PowerPoint all these scriptures through, but the people that's watching it are clearly clueless and they don't know the context of any of those scriptures. So they get misled. So I want to kind of show you some things that will help you when you see maybe some of these confusing verses, you know, how to look at it, and to make sure you're interpreting things right. But a very important concept we need to understand about the Trinity is you know, how the three are one. Because it is, it's an undeniable fact that there is only one God. All right? It is heresy to say that there is more than one God. All right? It is heresy to say that we have more than one God. We, there is only one God. The Bible is very clear about that. But you know what? It's also a heresy to deny that there are three. It is heresy to deny any of the three. And so, uh, we do, we believe the Trinity. These three are one. 1 John 5, 7, you know, a very foundational verse. But 1 John 2, 22, it also says, Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. But he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. We see that the Father and Son are a package deal. Why? Because they are one God. Okay? You do not have, if, if you don't have all three, then you don't have the right God. Okay? And that is just a biblical fact. And then people will bring up the fact, well, you know, yeah, it says that there, but what about the Holy Spirit? Why isn't the Holy Spirit mentioned in there? I thought there's three. Alright? And here's an example of what people do where they take things out of context. It's like, well, if you have to have all three, why isn't He including the Holy Spirit in here if that's part of the Godhead? And this is where guys can take verses like this and then you know throw confusion people's way. All right. So let me help you with 1 John. Now, we've been going through 1 John in Sunday school. What's 1 John about? You had a group of people that left them who were denying that Jesus was the Christ. They claimed to have the Father, but they denied Jesus Christ. John here is teaching them, hey, if they don't have Christ, they don't have the Father either. He's not doing a doctrinal dissertation on the Trinity on here. Or, or even on the Godhead for that matter. He is dealing specifically with a group of people who are denying Jesus Christ. So do you see how it would be inappropriate for me to say, well, you know what? The Holy Spirit's not mentioned here. You know, therefore, it doesn't matter. 
No, the Holy Spirit is part of the Godhead too. The Holy Spirit does matter. He's not mentioned here because the Holy Spirit wasn't a subject in this discussion right here. This was a people who were denying Jesus Christ. They were denying the deity of Christ. It was not a statement on the Trinity. And people will often do that. They'll take a passage somewhere. Well, it doesn't mention this. You know, therefore, it's, you know, for, uh, for example, when it comes to the Gospel, you know, uh, it, did, it didn't mention the death, burial, and resurrection there. Therefore, it's another Gospel. You know, they'll come up with, they'll just come up with crazy conclusions based on something that's not there. That is foolish. That is not proper Bible study when you do something like that. But for uh, so I, but we agree. If you don't have one, you don't have any of the three. Correct? And you say, well, the Holy Spirit's not mentioned there in First John two, so that doesn't prove anything. Well, let's look at First Corinthians chapter twelve. All right? Because remember, that was not a doctrinal dissertation on the Trinity. It says in verse three, wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man could say that Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Ghost. So right here from 1 Corinthians 12, we can say that you know what? If these people were confessing Christ, then guess what? They did have the Holy Ghost. Alright? So you say the Holy Ghost isn't mentioned. Yes, but you know what? We can clearly conclude that He is involved because 1 Corinthians 12 teaches us that no one can, uh, you know, speak by this, or no one can call, uh, say that Jesus is Lord, but by the Holy Spirit. So if people are claiming Jesus Christ, guess what? They've got the Holy Spirit too. And so if you have Jesus Christ, you can't have Jesus Christ. You can't proclaim Jesus Christ without the Holy Spirit. And if you have Jesus Christ, you have the Father also. So, you see how just them saying the Holy Spirit's not mentioned there doesn't mean He doesn't matter. Well, actually, you know that doesn't mean anything. 1 John 2 is talking about something else. Here in 1 Corinthians 12, he brings up the fact that nobody can say that Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Ghost. So people who are claiming Christ, they have, you know, we know they have a Holy Ghost too. So it is, it's, it's a very easy conclusion from this passage in 1 Corinthians 12 that in 1 John 2, the one denying the Son, they don't have the Father, but you know what we can also conclude? They don't have the Holy Spirit either. Alright? And so that is very clear. So, another thing we need to understand too, multiple things can be one. Hey, this is only a problem for the oneness crowd. It's the only, these are the only people in the world that have a problem with this. The, the, the multiple things being one is just something that everyone has understood who has ever just known the English language and read any of the Bible. It's not a hard thing, but they can't seem to do it. And it's just because they're being willfully ignorant because they have accepted this whole oneness idea and they're just not going away from it. And you know they keep just bringing up one, 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 because you know the dumbest person in the world can count to one. And so it's like you know they're they're appealing to the dumb, I guess, in when they do this. But let's look at several things in the Bible that are more than one, yet the Bible says are one. So right here in the very beginning in Genesis two, verse twenty-two, it says, "In the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man." Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be 
one flesh. And then in the New Testament, I'm quoting this, it says, Nay twain shall be one flesh. Okay? These two shall be one flesh. Okay? Now we get that, don't we? That a husband and wife, while they're two, they are one flesh. Okay? We get that. Now why do we get that? Because it's just an established fact in the Bible that everyone has always understood that a husband and wife are one flesh in the eyes of God. In fact, God takes it to another level. In chapter 5 of Genesis 1, it says the book of the generations of Adam in the day that God created man in the likeness of God made he him. Male and female created he them and blessed them and called their name Adam in the day when they were created. God called them. Adam. God gave them one name, but they were two. God didn't call them Adam and Eve. No, Adam called her Eve. Adam called the woman Eve. God called them Adam. Why did He only give them one name? Because those two were one flesh. Same thing when my wife got married. She took my name. She you know, is also Mrs. Tommy McMurtry. We call her Cassandra because it would get a little confusing if after we got married we were, you're calling both of us Tommy. You know that would get that would get confusing. But you know the thing is, even though we're one flesh, does she not maintain her identity? Absolutely. And you know what? When it comes to us being one flesh, you have the husband, you have the wife, and you know what? We're both of the same flesh. We're both one flesh. But the husband is not the wife, and the wife is not the husband. And so it shouldn't be hard for us to comprehend this fact since the Bible spells it out for us that there is one God and that there is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost and these three are one. This shouldn't be a hard concept for us. We say, well, that's three. That's not one God. Well, the Bible says they are one God. That's what the Bible says. They are one God. They are three, yet they make up one God just like my wife and I are two, but we make up one flesh. So yes, there is only one God. But there are three that make up that one God. The Bible spells this out for us. And we're denying clear Scripture when we deny that. So look what... It, um, and we see many examples. All right? For example, uh, Genesis 11. Okay? God establishes this fact of you know, multiple things being one in Genesis. I mean, it's very clear too when you look at Genesis 1.1 when it says, in the beginning... God created the heaven and the earth. Now, that's a singular, isn't it? Well, yeah, because it's a singular God. He was one God. But later he says, let us make man in our image. Now, are we in the image of God or are we in the image of angels and God? No, the Bible never calls us, says we're in the image of angels. It says we're in the image of God. Who, When he says us, us is plural. Our is plural. Plural. This, this is established fact from Genesis 1. In Genesis 11 at the Tower of Babel, it says in verse 6, And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one. So when the Tower of Babel was built, there was only one person that did it. It was Nimrod. All right? He was all by himself, and he, built, he was building this massive tower. Is that what the Bible's teaching? No. They were one in the sense that they were all united. They were one people. They were one nation. They were one city. They had one language. They had one speech. They had one goal. They had one motive. Okay? But does anybody in here think there was more or there was only one person? Does anybody think that? If you think there was only one person here in this story, 
I got a great church I can recommend for you. It's in uh, Jacksonville, Florida. All right, you know you will fit in great there if you think only one person was at the Tower of Babel. All right, there's plenty of idiots for you to fellowship with. But it says in verse seven, it says, "Go to you now, and we will confound their language that they may not understand one another's speech." So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. And then in chapter, uh, you know, in, in, ver- in verse one, it mentions that the whole earth was of one language and one speech. That's where we get why they were one. Okay, So God ended up separating them. When God separated them at the Tower of Babel, He separated them into twelve. They became twelve people. It says in Genesis 32.8, when the Most High divided the nations, their inheritance, when He separated the sons of Adam, He set the bounds of the people according to the number of the children of Israel, which is... Twelve. God separated them into twelve groups. We see later, and we're not going to read all these passages in Genesis 34 uh, and verse 14. This is when uh, there, there was the group they wanted Dinah for a wife. They wanted them to uh, they wanted to marry into Jacob's family or the family of Israel, and they told him, "If you'll get circumcised, then we will be one people." All right, what was he saying? You know, we'll, we'll just be united. We'll all be one group. Let's all be one. So this is, you know, in Genesis 41, it says in verse 25, and Joseph said unto Pharaoh, the dream of Pharaoh is one. Why is he saying that? Pharaoh had two dreams. So why did Joseph say he had one? Pharaoh had said he had two dreams. The Bible says he had two dreams. But then Joseph comes along and says he had one. You know why he said they have one? Because those dreams were one in the sense of they had the same meaning. They had the same message. They had the same interpretation. That's what he meant by that. So we see over and over again in the Bible, it has this language of multiple things being one, but for some reason when it comes to God, even though it's spelled out just as clear if not more clear than many of these other things, people can't seem to get it. In 1 Corinthians 6.16, they like this verse, or um, not this, I'm getting ahead of myself, but verse, it says, What know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two, saith he, shall be one flesh, but he that is joined in the Lord is one spirit. So here even somebody being joined to a harlot, the Bible says, is one flesh. Even though they are two, but he calls it one body here. And then 1 Corinthians 8, verse 6 says, But to us there is but one God. Alright? Now we would agree with that, right? One God. And then notice how it says, The Father of whom are all things, and we in Him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by Him. Now, what's funny about this verse, they like to bring this up showing that you know there's only one Father and it's God. And then notice how Jesus is mentioned here too. Therefore, it proves they are one and the same. Well, usually when the Bible mentions somebody and somebody, it's talking about two. All right? But for some reason, it doesn't mean that in this passage. But I want you to notice, look what it says in verse 5. It says, for though there be that are called gods, whether in heaven or earth, as there be gods many and lords many. Okay? So, so wait a minute. Right here it says there are Lord gods many and there's lords many. But yet there's other passages that says there's only one God. But there's only one Lord. Do we have a conflict here? No, because sometimes, when it's, when, for example, when it's saying there are gods many and lords many, well, actually, there are different kinds of lords. For example... Sarah called Abraham Lord. 
Lord is just a uh, term of authority. Okay, we don't really use that term in the English language much, but you know, there's people who are leaders that are referred to as lords. And you know what? The term God. There are also when it says God's many, it's not always just talking about deities or false deities or demons. Remember, Jesus brought up to the Pharisees, He quoted a psalm where it said, ye are gods. What does that mean? God is a term, it is a term of authority like Lord is a term of authority. You understand that? Now, we don't do that. We don't go calling people gods today. In our culture, in our language, that just wouldn't work real well. Okay? But it, and we don't even call people Lord. Alright? If, you know, if, if I was in some position of authority... Uh, and you know, and I had people referring to me as Lord Tommy. You know, it would sound really weird. Now, if I had an if they if we had, all had English accents, it would be a little more normal, right? Because in England, you know, you have Lord this person. You know, they do that in other countries. All right, but imagine if people were calling me God, Tommy. They're like, whoa, 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 whoa. All right, the term God is not always a term of deity. It is a term. Of authority. That's why the Bible says, Thou shalt not revile the gods, nor curse the ruler of thy people. Is it saying we can't say bad things about false gods? No, it's referring to the authorities in, in that area. That's why it says, Thou shalt not revile the gods, nor curse the ruler of thy people. It's talking about those that are in authority. That's what that passage is talking about. Okay? So we need to understand that. So when it comes to there being one God, it, God is a term of authority. And we do. We have one God, one Lord, one leader, and it is the God who, Bible makes very clear, consists of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. So these people, they'll take those passages like that and it just shows a clear uh, just ignorance of just the meanings of words, meanings of names, taking things out of context. You know, the Bible says there's only one Spirit. You know, look at this verse right here. It says only one Spirit. Therefore, Jesus can't have His own Spirit, and God can't have His own Spirit, and the Holy Spirit can't have His own Spirit. It says one Spirit right here. Well, what about the verse that says seven Spirits of God? Well, you know, there's, what about, you know, try the spirits, whether they are of God. You know, there's lots of spirits, but you gotta look at what is that passage talking about? What is that passage teaching? And what they never do when they're bringing up all these verses and building all these straw men, one thing they never do is take the time to look at the context. They just bring up all these verses, like, look at all this, look at all this ammo I got. Look at all this evidence. Look at all this Bible I'm showing you. Great. You used a lot of random passages from a lot of random places, but you didn't teach anybody the context and your audience is obviously too ignorant to know what these are even about. And so they do. They deceive the hearts of the simple. Okay? They, because of the fact these people, they just don't know their Bible. And so this passage I'm going to go to in here in a little bit, there's a lot of different ones we can go to, but I think Hebrews 1, it lays a lot of this stuff out the best. I'm going to show you how we've got to look at these passages when you're reading them, and but let's look at a few more things that we see in the Bible too that are one. Well, you know what? I I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on that. There, but there are there there are many more. You know, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond or free. We are all one in Christ. But do we lose our identity? 
No, we don't lose our identity. We still have our identity. You know, the Bible says, for He is our peace who hath made both one. Okay? Referring to Jews and Gentiles. Referring to Old Testament Christians and New Testament Christians. We're all one people. We're all one body. We're all one bride. And you got all these people that are wanting to separate these things. But no, we're all one because we're all in Christ. But we still have our individual identities. We see in... Uh, 1 Peter 3 8 says, finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one another. What does that mean? Be ye all of one mind. Well, it means we all need to be thinking the same. So, how does that work? Does that mean I do all of your thinking for you as the pastor of this church? The Bible says, be ye all of one mind. I'm the pastor. Y'all aren't allowed to think anymore. I'll do all the thinking for you. Is that what it's saying? You know, because we only have one mind, or we're all the same person? No, it's just telling us we all need to be united. We all need to be thinking the same. We all need to be in agreement. That's what he's saying when he talks about being of one mind. Um, you know, we have John 10.30. I and my Father are one. They never look at the context of John 10.30. You have a group of people saying, we don't want to listen to you. You know, show us the Father. If you've seen Me, you've seen the Father. They want to take that literal, but Jesus is saying, listen, the things that I am saying are from the Father. You want to know what the Father says? Listen to what I say. You want to know what the Father's message is? Listen to my message. Our message is one. Why? Because I and my Father are one. That's what He's talking about there. He's not teaching that He is God the Father. He was God the Son. But He's talking about a message here. We see that type of thing over and over again. John 17.10 They don't want to touch this passage with the ten foot pole. Because this just, I mean, lays it out as clear as you can lay it out how they are one. It says, And all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but they are in the world. And I am come to thee, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are one. Now that's real clear right there. We are all going to be one one of these days. So does that mean we're all just going to morph into one body? You know, will there be no, you know, Tommy and Jacob and Aaron? You know, we're just all going to be one. We're all going to have the same name. We're all going to be in the same body. The Bible says we're going to be one. You know, you heretic, thinking we're still going to have our individual identities. You know, you blasphemer. I always get accused of blaspheming thing, you know, for believing in the Trinity and stuff like that. I don't know how I've ever blasphemed with it, but that's what they like to do. All right, I'm just beating them to it. I don't. I don't but they they have no consistency in their interpretation of the Bible. And notice how he said that they may be one as we are one. So right there, you we see nobody. I don't even think these guys would deny the fact that we're going to maintain our individual identities when we're in heaven. Yet for some reason, Jesus loses His when it comes to Him being in the Godhead. Even though He said that they may be one as we are one. We are. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on Me through their word, that they all may be one as Thou, Father, art in Me and I in Thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that Thou hast sent Me, that they may be one in us. So do we become God? Listen, if they're going to be consistent in their interpretation of the Bible, 
Eventually, we will become Jesus. If they're going to be consistent. Because if I and my Father are one, means Jesus is the Father. If you know the these three are one, means they all just make up, I mean, one individual, no, you know, no separate identities. Then you, they have to say that one of these days we are all going to morph into Jesus. What do you think being in Christ means? And I don't think they say that. I don't think they've gotten that dumb or that desperate yet. But I, I do think, I, I've never heard, I'm sure, I don't know if some of them might have tried to interpret this passage. I haven't heard it. But I'd be interested in seeing what they're going to do with this passage. It says, In the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one as we are one, I in them, and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved them, and hast loved me. So what does it mean, too? What does he mean when he's saying that we are all going to be one? What does that mean? I'll tell you what it means. It means one of these days we are going to be like Christ. We are going to be holy. We are going to be without sin. One of these days we are going to be like Him. Okay? But we will still be us. We will still have our individual identities, but we will be just like Him. And that's what, that's going to take place at the rapture, looking forward to that day. So, I show you all this to show you this concept of three being one should not be a hard thing to understand at all. So, the main way that we see that these three are one is in their working. Alright? The Trinity, the Trinity always works together in perfect harmony in everything. Okay? But there is a distinction in their roles. And it's very important we get these distinctions right. And there's many passages we can go to to illustrate this. But I think Hebrews 1 says it better than just about any passage, right? So we're gonna, we're gonna stay in, we're gonna focus in Hebrews 1. So look what it says in verse 1. It says, God who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. Okay? Now let me ask you a question. Okay, and this is, this is what the, this crowd likes to do. They like to play word games, alright? They got some of these little Weasley guys that like to play these word games with you, and if you don't say something just right, you get accused of blasphemy, alright? And this is what punks do, and, and weasels, and things like that. But, no, alright, let me ask, so let me ask you a question. It says, God at sundry times, and divers in spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. Okay? Now, who spoke to the fathers? Did God speak or did the prophet speak? Alright? Go ahead. Who, who spoke? Did God speak or did the prophet speak? Give me an answer. Alright? They demand answers to this kind of stuff. Somebody answer me. Did God speak or did the prophet speak? Don't be scared. I won't call you, I won't call you a blasphemer. God? By, God by the prophets? So which one was actually speaking? Who did they hear? Did they hear God or did they hear the prophets? God's word by the prophets. You got to answer the question the way I want you to answer it. <laughs> no, all right. Because here, here's the thing: they did. They heard both. Okay, they heard the audible voice of the prophets, and they. But the, so you're saying they didn't hear God? Well, here's the thing: they were both one. You know why? Because their words were the same. But yet, what did people always do? They always wanted to reject the prophets and say, no, we want God. But did God accept that? No. God always took their rejection of the prophets as rejection of Him. 
Remember what he told Samuel? They have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me. But wait a minute. They were rejecting Samuel. But not according to God. You know why? Because when it came to God's will, when it came to God's Word, when it came to what these prophets were saying, they were saying the same thing. So whenever they heard, the fathers heard the prophets, you can go ahead and say they heard the voice of God. Okay? And they heard the voice of the prophets. You know why? Because they both were one. They were saying the same thing. The Bible says God spake to the fathers, but He did it by the prophets. So you can say it either way. Yes, they heard God. They heard the prophets. Why? Because they're both one. But here's the thing. Do the prophets now lose their identity and become God? Absolutely not. Did God lose His identity and become the prophets? No. They still have their identity. They still have their roles. Alright? So, verse 2. It says, "...hath in these last days spoken unto us by His Son." God did speak in the past by the prophets. Now He's speaking by His Son. Okay? Now, the oneness crowd would say the Son was the Father. Okay, so then were the prophets also the Father? Because He's saying right here that hey, in sundry times and divers' manners, God spake. In times past, He spoke to the fathers by the prophets. Now in these last days, He's spoken to us by the Son. So is the Son the Father? If you're going to say yes, then you have to say the prophets were the Father too. It's the exact same language. It's the exact same thing. But no, the Son is not the Father and the Father is not the Son. But yet, what did Jesus say? When they listened to Jesus Christ, who were they hearing? Were they hearing Jesus or were they hearing the Father? Guess what? They were hearing both. You know why? Because God the Father spake to them by Jesus Christ. Y'all get that? Okay? I mean, this isn't really that deep when we stop and think about it. So it says, "...hath in these last days spoken unto us by His Son, whom He hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also He made the worlds." So in verse 3 it says, "...who," talking about Jesus, "...being in the brightness of His glory, the Father, and the express image of His person, and upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins and sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Now let's think about this for a minute. Jesus Christ was in the express image of His person, talking about the Father. If He is the Father, wouldn't it be stupid if I say, you know who I, you know who I look a lot like? I look a lot like myself. That goes without saying. Did you know that we all look like ourselves? Everybody looks like themselves. Okay? But you know what? When it comes to you know, others, we might say, you know what? Hey, He does look like His Father. You know, spit an image of His Father. Things like that. Jesus was the express image of His person. Alright? If He was the Father, then that, goes, that just goes without saying. That's just, a, that's just a dumb, pointless statement. You know, if I just got up and said, I look just like me. And you know, well, I sound just like me too. I just can't get over it. You know, how much I am like myself. Okay, that's not astounding when I am one, alright? But, if, you know, I start saying that about me and my father, then, you know, that means something because, you know, there is a, there is a difference there. 
Okay, And I have some similarities with my dad, but there's some differences too. But with Jesus Christ, He was he was the express image of His person. Verse 4, "...being made so much better than the angels, as He hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For unto which of the angels said He at any time, uh, Thou art My Son, this day have I begotten Thee. Again, I will be to Him a Father, and He shall be to Me a Son." And again, when He bringeth the first begotten into the world, He saith, and let all the angels of God worship Him. And of the angels He saith, who maketh His angels spirits and His ministers a flame of fire. But unto the Son He saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever a scepter of righteousness is the scepter of Thy kingdom. So right here, this verse, once again, this is one of the more, I mean, most clear verses in the Scriptures that proves that Jesus is God. Even though we do not claim that Jesus is the Father, we can still say without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is God. Because the Bible calls Him God. But the oneness crowd, they like to take just this one verse to prove that God was just talking to Himself. Is what they like to do with it. But there's several problems with that. Okay, One, it contradicts everything that we've read in the previous seven verses. See, this is what they do with their e-sword Bible study habits. Just taking words that they like and or one verse that they like, never looking at context. When we look at what it's been talking about in the previous verses, it is so clear that there is a difference. It is so clear that there is a distinction because of the fact that just like God spoke by the prophets, God spoke by Jesus Christ. And everyone would agree the prophets were not the Father. And therefore, when it used the exact same language, we would say that Jesus was not the Father. So, and if, and if God calling, you know, if God calling Jesus God, who was God, because they are both one, then God calling Eve Adam would have made her Adam, right? Because, say, you say, well, you know, God called Jesus God, Therefore, that means He's Himself because of what He called Him. But God called them Adam, but none of us would say that, you know what? Eve didn't eat the fruit. Adam did it. You know, the Bible says it was Eve, but you know, actually, and really when you stop to think about it, if God called them Adam, then you could say, yep, Adam sinned. Adam ate, Adam ate the fruit first. Adam gave it to Adam. Alright? y'all. But you see, just because... God will use that terminology sometimes. It doesn't take away the distinctions. Okay, It was still Eve that ate the fruit first. It was still Eve that got deceived and not Adam. It was still Eve that was the wife. She was not the husband. And so just because God called Jesus God here, the Father called Jesus God here, it doesn't take away His individual identity. That's just, that's just foolish. And it's just a stupid way to interpret the Bible. God called them both Adam because they too were one flesh. And the God the Father called Jesus God because they were one God. Him, the Son, and the Holy Ghost were all one God. So, another problem too with taking Hebrews 1.8 and saying that this is proven a oneness thing is it does. It literally changes the subject of the entire passage. Because all of a sudden, it makes... The entire chapter here about Jesus being God. If that's what Hebrews 1.8 is trying to teach, that Jesus is the Father, 
Okay? Then it literally changes the entire subject of Hebrews 1. But what is the subject of Hebrews 1? The subject of Hebrews 1 is how it's Jesus Christ. He is, you know, it's starting out talking about how he was better than the angels. It's getting ready to talk about how he was a better covenant. He was a better mediator. He was a better sacrifice. He was a better high priest. The whole book of Hebrews is about how Jesus is a better everything. That's what the whole book is all about. The whole book is all about how Jesus is a better everything. And so, when you make this verse just trying to prove that Jesus is the Father, you just lose... You've changed the subject is what you've done. And that's what they often do in their Bible studies. Look at verse 9 of Hebrews 1. It says, Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of thine hands. Alright? So this passage, it's ultimately introducing the fact that Jesus is. He's the replacement of everything. Better mediator, better high priest, <clears throat> better sacrifice. It's showing also... Two, we see here that Jesus was always with God in the beginning. Okay, Jesus did not get his start in the manger, all right, or in the womb of Mary. Jesus has always been. Okay, now they will say they believe in the eternity of Christ because he was the Father before, but no, there was always the Son. He was always with God. He was always with Him. He always maintained His identity. And we see that he's when He's talking about Jesus here, showing how He's a better everything, He's showing them throughout the book of Hebrews, He's teaching them that, hey, that this Jesus that we're talking about here, that we're trying to make sure you follow after, is somebody, He's not a new thing that just surfaced. He's always been around. It was He that was with the church. In the wilderness. This Jesus has always been around. He was there with God in the creation. All things were made by Him. He, God used Jesus in the creation. So the Son of God, alright, here's what He was. He was another revelation of God. Okay? Now, you can go back in the Old Testament and you can find plenty of evidence of the Son of God. Alright? But understand, they didn't fully understand Him yet. This was something that God revealed about Himself later on. Okay, He, you know, He was not Jesus was not a new God. All right, just like you know when Jesus came and uh, after His death, burial, and resurrection, there was no new gospel then. Okay, but more was revealed about the original gospel when Jesus Christ came on the scene when He came to Earth. There was no new God, but more was being revealed about the God, one God that had always been. So the Son of God that has been revealed in these last days was the same God of the Old Testament. The Son of God was another revelation. So now, now that more has been revealed about God, we're able to go back to the Old Testament and we can understand some things that were probably a mystery to them. Alright? For example, in Exodus 33.11, it says, and the, Lord God, and the Lord spake unto Moses face to face, as a man speaketh unto his friend. And he turned again into the camp, but a servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. So right here we see Moses, he's speaking unto the Lord face to face, like he's speaking to a man. 
We see there are many examples in the Bible of what you know they call a Christophany, where it was an appearance of Jesus Christ, okay, where the Son showed up on earth, okay, in human form. He Jesus showed up on earth many times, but then we see here in eleven Moses speaking to him face to face. But then in verse eighteen of the same chapter, it says the Lord, and He said, "I beseech thee, show me thy glory." And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And he said, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. The Lord, so who was I talking to face to face with? Alright? What do we do with this? I, I personally believe this is the Father now that he's talking to. Say, but wait a minute. Where did it switch? Alright? Where, you know, where did it switch from the Son to the Father? Why didn't he notice? Now, there's several things. First off, they might have known a lot more about the Trinity than we realize back then. I don't know that for sure. It's not real clear. Moses doesn't seem to be puzzled by this. He doesn't seem to be shocked. Maybe he understood the concept of Father and Son. I, I don't know that for sure. But here's the thing. It is often hard to tell when you're reading the Bible which one is which because of the fact they're always working together in perfect harmony. And God often works, the Father often works by the Son. Or He often works by the Holy Spirit. Okay? But the Holy Spirit doesn't lose His identity during that time. He doesn't lose His distinction. All right, we are one church, but you know we often have divisions, don't we? We're one body, right? But do we not often have divisions? Why is that? Because we're not holy. My wife and I were one flesh, but we often have conflict. We often have divisions. You know why? Because we're not holy. Okay. But when it comes to the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost, there's always perfect harmony. Why? Because they are all holy, holy, holy. All three of them are holy. There has, and they have never, any of the three have never ceased for one second for being holy. Therefore, they have always worked as one in perfect harmony to the point that it, the language in the Bible can get confusing as to which one you're talking to, yet it shouldn't be confusing. Because of the fact we still use this same kind of language today. All right? So let's look at some examples of the work of God here real quick. I want to go through this quickly. Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Well, which one? Well, I think they were all a part of it. But in John 1.1, it says, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. And so we know that was talking about Jesus Christ right there. In Colossians 1.12, it says, "...giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, and hath translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature." For by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether it be thrones or dominions, principalities or powers. All things were created by Him and for Him. And He is before all things. And by Him all things consist. Talking about Jesus. 
And He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning of the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He might have the preeminence, for it pleased the Father that in Him, talking about the Son, should all fullness dwell. So here's the question. Who created the universe? God the Father or God the Son? Alright. Well, both. God the Father created the universe by Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible says. He did it by Jesus Christ. Okay? And you say, well, that's confusing. Only for a oneness modalist trying to make his doctrine fit. Everybody who understands the English language can get this type of thing, right? So let me give you some different things that actually all have the same meaning, right? So what if I said, what if I said we nuked North Korea? Alright? We nuked North Korea. That's a statement that has a, a meaning. Or what if I said Trump nuked Kim Jong-un? Okay? That kind of has the same meaning too, right? Or what if I said an American soldier nuked the North Korean people? Am I not basically saying the same thing all three of those ways I'm saying it? Okay, because what would happen, right? I, we could say if, if, if that happened where North Korea got nuked by us, Okay? It would not be wrong for us to say we nuked them or to say Trump nuked them or to say an American soldier nuked them. Why? Because we, the people, did it by our leader, you could say, the president, who did it by a soldier who dropped a bomb. Right? I mean, would, not, would all three of those things be accurate to say? Yes. Now, who actually did it? The soldier, I guess, that dropped it. But there's also the guy who made the bomb. We could blame him too. You know? You see how there's many things at work here? And so we all, we all get this today. So when we take the same language and the same type of thinking, you know, and use it in modern day examples, let's compare it to what God did when He sent His Son. Alright? So, because God did, God saved the world by Jesus Christ, didn't He? God redeemed us by Jesus Christ. Okay? So here's another example that I came up with all by myself. I think this is a great example. Alright? So let's suppose for a second, Trump sent me to Israel as an ambassador. Okay? If I'm a proper ambassador of Trump, then I'm going to go over there and fulfill his will. You know what that means? I'm going to kiss Israel's rear if I'm a proper ambassador for Trump. I'm going to go over there. I'm going to do what I've been ordered to do. And suppose Trump sent me over there with a check for another billion dollars for Israel. Now, if I'm an ambassador, a proper ambassador, I'm going to give them that check for a billion dollars. I would be failing as an ambassador if I went over there and I did my own will instead of the will of the one who sent me. The one who had the authority. Trump would immediately distance himself from me if I went over there and instead of giving Israel a check for a billion dollars... I gave him a bill for billions of dollars, saying we want our money back. Okay, because that's what I would do. Alright, that, that's, that's what I would do. Alright, but I would immediately get fired as an ambassador. I would probably get arrested. Trump would he get up and he'd make a big speech condemning everything I did, everything I said. He would do whatever he had to do to distance himself from me because I failed in my role as an ambassador of fulfilling his will. Okay? Now when Jesus came to earth, he was sent by the Father, correct? 
He was sent by the Father on a mission from the Father and for the Father. Okay, And just like if I went over to Israel and I gave them that check, I handed them the check for the billion dollars. But did I give them the billion dollars or did Trump give them the billion dollars? Well, yeah, I handed them the check. I was who Trump used to do it, but it was also Trump's authority that made that happen. Okay? When Jesus came to earth, He came on a mission from God the Father. He did His Father's will. He came not to do His own will, but the will of Him that sent Me. He did not come in His own name, but His Father's name. If I went to Israel in the name of Trump, and then I give him a bill, which is My will, I have gone against, I've now gone to Israel in My own name instead of the name of Donald Trump. Jesus came and He did the will of His Father. He came in His own name. And you know what we see the Father did as a result of that? As a result of Jesus coming to earth and doing all things well, we see that God, especially when they denied Him, God did some things to show that He was behind what Jesus did. Okay, So another example, let's say I went to Israel and I said, alright, I'm giving you a bill for a billion dollars. And it was Trump's will for me to do that. And then they said, well, you know what? We think you're lying. We want to hear from Trump. And then they go and they throw me in jail or something like that. Then you know what Trump's going to do? Trump's going to do something to them to show that, you know what? He did thing. That was according to my will. He did do that under my authority. And when Jesus came to earth, the Jews rejected Him, didn't they? And so what did God do? God went and He raised Jesus from the dead. And even before God raised Jesus from the dead, we see that God came at His baptism. He said, this is My beloved Son whom I well please. What is He doing? He's putting a stamp of approval on Him. We see that Jesus did miracles by God. He, he, God gave Him the ability to do these miracles showing that, hey, He is authorized to do what I'm telling Him to do. But ultimately, when they rejected Him, God raised Jesus from the dead. And folks, that's what it means when it says in Isaiah 9.6, for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon His shoulders, and His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. They'll say that proves Jesus was the Everlasting Father. It says His name shall be called the Everlasting Father. Why is that? Because Jesus didn't come in His own name. He came in the name of His Father. Just like if I go to Israel as an ambassador, I'm going to go in the name of you know Donald Trump or as an ambassador of the United States of America. It's not about me at that situation. It is about who I represent. And when this Son was born that was given, it was prophesied that a Son was going to come First question people are going to ask is, whose son? Who's the father? Alright? Who's the father, you know, of this son that's going to come, that's going to have a kingdom with no end? And you know how you know who a child is from is by their name. Why? Because they have their father's name. And for some reason these bozos have made this all about making him the father. Not understanding that no, we have the name of our Father. This is just showing His authorization, who He was sent by. That's why in John 5.43 said, I am come in My Father's name, and ye receive Me not. If another shall come in His own name, him ye will receive. So Jesus didn't come in His own name. He came in the name of His Father, showing His authority. So on multiple occasions, 
God the Father showed His approval when they rejected what God chose. God chose to save the world. God the Father chose to save the world by Jesus Christ. When they rejected Jesus Christ, they were rejecting God the Father. Y'all get that? Just like if I'm the one that Trump sent, they are rejecting Trump by rejecting me. He chose to get this message by me. This is something that everybody who knows the English language understands. Anybody who understands authority understands this. Okay? Nobody who understands authority and how authority works is going to teach this oneness garbage. Now, someone who doesn't understand authority to the point that when they don't get ordained by the proper authority, you know, they decide they're going to go start a church anyway and manage to find a daddy who will do it for them, they might be dumb enough to preach something like this. All right? But anybody who actually understands authority and the legitimacy of things is not going to do that. And you know what? Big deal, he got his daddy to do it. All right? Yeah, my dad participated in my ordination, but so did six other preachers. And you know what? That, that's nothing to get a family member to do something like that for you. There's guys out there, they can get their mommies to ordain them if they wanted. Uh, and I'm, I'm sure some have. But is that legit? Absolutely not. But now, so, you know, so, you know the reason, so that, you know, the answer to how these three can be one, it, it's actually extremely simple. It can be understood by a concept that God instilled from the very creation of the first man and first woman. This complication of this simple truth, it's, one, it's a modern day problem for a modern day heresy, and that's oneness. They're, they're promoting a oneness God in the world today that will ultimately be embodied in the Antichrist. He will come in His own name. He will declare Himself above all that is called God, unlike Jesus Christ, who glorified the Father instead of Himself. But you know what? Because Jesus did what He was told to do, in His Father's name. You know what God did also? Not only did God raise Him from the dead to show His approval and to prove that Jesus Christ was authorized by God to bring that message of salvation. You know what else God did as a result of that after that took place? God gave Him a name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Things in heaven, things in earth. So, how can three be one? It's, it's real simple. There is one God that consists of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And it's just rank, amateur interpretation of Scripture that leads to anything else. It is a heresy to teach oneness. And it's garbage. And you know what? I'm sad that it's even surfacing in so-called Baptist churches. And you know what? I hope it never does here. I, hope, I, I want to make sure we continue teaching this thing. I would hate it. If you know somebody in our church or somebody we sent out, they they taught some kind of garbage like that. You know that would be a, a humiliating thing, and I, I don't want to be. I don't want that doctrine touching me with a ten foot pole. And so I think I, I'm thankful that those people that teach that stuff, you know, hate my guts and they're always trying to accuse me of blasphemy and things like that. You know what a what a disgusting, undesirable crowd that I'm proud to not be a part of. And they, they can't get one normal human being to join up with them. I mean, they, they're getting the worst of the worst, the Sluters, the you know, beta male Victor Tays, you know, just these crazy nut jobs. And uh, I think it's a great testament to that doctrine. And so, uh, anyway, I hope that was a help to you. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray you'll help us, Lord, to uh, 
take doctrine serious, Lord. Help us to take our Bible study serious. Help us not get caught up in this just this word search, e-sword type Bible study that's uh, an epidemic amongst young preachers today. Help us to read our Bibles and to study Your Word. So, Lord, we'll have some kind of knowledge of context. I pray You'll help the people in this church to read their Bibles so they they will also know context. So when preachers get up and preach foolish junk like they, like people are doing today, they will be able to see right through it for what it is. And I pray You'll help us with that. In Your name we pray. Amen.